0: good we uh we had a chance to speak i think earlier or in 2020 but uh great to talk to you again and of course the uh, the new project which is uh our great arc of life uh
1: great. fantastic way, stuff i'm jeremy billy nice to meet you hey man nice to meet you <laughs> i know listen
0: i'm pull- i'm pulling a jeremy i'm going right into it he taught me that he said you just gotta start
1: yeah, just <laughs> right to it so this new project arc of life, you know, we're just looking at the credits and the guys that are playing on this and you know, it, it, this is basically like a brand new yes in a way.
2: Uh, well, you know, it is certainly a brand new band. I mean, yes is yes. And has a long legacy and history and continues to go on its journey. So, but there's been a lot of satellite bands outside of yes, as you know, I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, Asia conspiracy. I had Circa with Alan and Tony K and Jimmy back in the day. And and then, you know, Jeff Downs is doing Chris Braid uh, with the DBA project. And, and Steve's got his trio. So there are many satellite bands around. Um, yes, the mothership. But we all have time to do other things and pursue our art. So yes. that's what this is, really.
0: May, may I just take one second to say that DBA album, because I, I interviewed Jeff last week, is yeah. fan-fucking-tastic. That is, well, some, that is a great album. And, you
2: know, and well, by top, the way, top top you
1: know, top-notch musicians.
2: sorry. So, yeah. yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, for sure.
1: Life, the self-titled debut is coming out on February 12th via Frontier Records. You get it wherever music is sold. The first ever single, you make it real. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good first put out, guys. I mean, uh, is this just a sample of what we can expect on this album?
2: <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it's uh, you know, it's the first point of entry, if you will. And it's it's simple, yet it's got complexities. If you look under the hood a little deeper, you know, there's some things going on inside that song that uh, lend itself to that more proggy thing that we're all used to. Um, right. But I think that's the first good point of entry. And then the album, as you get into it, as a listener sort of flowers and opens up as you go and becomes even more uh, depth filled and textured and layered and, and, and the songs get a bit longer. So it's, it's kind of nice. I mean, it's, I think it's a good choice. It was the label's choice. And um, damn you label,
1: it's always the label.
2: It's so funny because most, most, <laughs> most of my friends who are, I've given a you know taste to uh, to check out the song, they all say, "My wife loves this song. She won't stop playing it." <laughs> hey, <laughs> so, that's good though. Come on, man. I'm... They have to come if the wife wants to go, but it's yeah. not the other way around so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
1: oh, it's true. How many, how many progressive bands, you know, got the chicks that are digging it? So you know,
2: <laughs> not a bad thing.
0: let me just quickly ask you because the 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 press release says that the whole sort of mission statement of arc of life is to keep the progressive rock philosophy blossoming and and keep you know pushing boundaries how would you describe sort of the progressive rock philosophy what does that mean
2: well uh, to me it means uh a genre in music that is the most freeing to express yourself in terms of art and creativity no limitations no boundaries you're not uh bound by a structure that might come with a more poppy sort of lane to be in or um you know it's just a free form almost jazz like in its way except for me you know Prague. i don't i don't judge it off of time lengths of songs and whatnot i still want to hear a great song inside there so I'm always trying to find some way to bring a sense of simplicity inside that complexity with the, the melodies and, and these hooks happening, but they're surrounded by these very strange sort of interpretations of arranging and whatnot, you know?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think that progressive rock musicians are some of the best in the world because of that? Because there's a well, lot it's, of parts that you have to remember for really long portions and pieces of music. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And
2: it's, 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 I think it's, if you're looking to expand your playing and your creativity with composition and how that affects your playing it's definitely the the genre to explore because there are no limitations so uh it it, you do find more of your better players are in Prague. i mean there's so many the list is a mile long Mm -hmm. with all these great bands and, and individuals out there but this is where they get to express all that stuff that they've been practicing forever and trying to perfect, you know.
1: Well, let me ask you this: you know, why have an eight-minute jam when you can pull four different pieces of a progressive rock song, and potentially make four good, straightforward pop rock songs with them?
2: Well, I mean, for me, it's a flow, and you get into writing a song with a certain mindset, and the lyrics might be expressing some particular vibe, and it just feels like it needs an instrumental section after that. So you can sink into what was just said and then take you out of that into the next part and Hmm. kind of almost looking at it like a movie where you have a sort of beginning, middle and an end. And each one is a scene inside the film. So it's just a matter of how long does this scene go before it gets boring? And and is it, is it entertaining, you know, and is it still holding your imagination the whole time? Are you saying that
1: this arc of life album is eventually going to turn into a motion picture? Mm. That'd be great. Well, I
2: always tend to think of music <laughs> as kind of you know a movie for your ears. Mm. So you know, I've often said that in terms of a lot of the records I make, or you know, if you put some headphones on and just give it the time to, to just sit there in a, in a dark room or staring off into space, wherever you are, doing whatever you like to take taking you away into another place for a while. And that's something that I think the younger generation, those who are discovering what we already know as this wealth of music in the prog genre new fans discovering it are like they're just their eyes are opening up to this other world they had no idea because they've been sort of you know brainwashed into these seven second chunks of time and sound bites and things that should be over in 10 seconds (laughs) you know what I mean yeah Yeah. yeah,
0: let me let me ask you this. Frontiers is known for for melodic rock. They're they're known for throwing bands together, and and a lot of those bands just exist on album. They don't go out and tour for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Is this one of these where you're just thrown together for this project, and we get it out there? You do a few interviews and merci bonsoir, or does it become a band that is going to tour, and then when yes in Asia say listen, no masks, we're done. Does this sort of fill the void?
2: Well, we definitely have the intent to go forward and play live and take it to a stage as soon as there's a stage to go to. Um, you know, so well, they're, they're the- all
0: open in Florida.
2: Yeah, there's no COVID. <laughs> in there. uh, Haven't you heard about well, it?
0: Yeah, Florida's <laughs> COVID free, don't you know?
2: Uh, <laughs> wherever, no, but- whenever it does come back, we're sort of ready on the starting line to pull the all trigger right. and put it all in place uh fortunately for us our management is the same of asia and yes so their calendars of all the things were sort of interweaved in can get worked out without conflict and um got a great agency and tko ready to go so you know just but is this the band or is it a project oh it's definitely a band okay you know Mm -hmm. it's a band in the way that i'm still a band member of circa and you know i mean yes i mean asia it's it's a band it's a band of brothers that wants to uh do more together and and do all the aspects that come with it as opposed to a, a project that's more studio oriented and you i mean i do plenty of those where i'm i'm pulling in left right and center people and you know there's just no way that that's going to get on a stage realistically it's hmm. logistic out of control but when you do put a band together you sort of you know before you say you're a band you, you have that one talk of like look when it comes time to play live you're ready to do this right and and As long as the answer is yes, then we're
1: on our way, you know, right. Let me ask you um, a bit of a nerdy question here. You know, as a musician who plays in this genre, how do you go and like, how do you guys go about crafting a song? Because, you know, progressive, obviously progressive music has a lot of different parts and elements when it comes to the arrangement of these tunes and different things, you know, how does a song like that for a band like yours start? Does it start with a guitar riff? Does it come, does it start with like a synth pad and somebody starts soloing over it? Or like, like how does a song happen for you guys?
2: Well, I know from my own experience writing, it happens in many different ways. Sometimes I'll hear a drum groove in my head and I'll run over to the computer and, and just jot that down and sketch it and come back to it and develop it into something. Or a lot of times I'm working on sessions for other artists, other people. And as I'm getting the sound, my bass sound together, um, just to listen back to something, make sure it's good. I might play and start noodling on something. And I'll, if I like it, I'll grab that file, and put it on the desktop in a folder I have called Ideas. <laughs> and, fine. And so I'm constantly kind of pulling from different areas. I might be in my car and hearing a melody. You know, You Make It Real was one of those songs for me where I was driving in the car, and just kind of heard, you make it real. And I thought, so I sang that into my phone and kind of sang the song. majority of what we had right there is an idea but then you take it to uh the next level and you start really sketching your song out and arranging it whatnot but the ideas come from from different places of inspiration it's weird you know i might hear something from uh, a television news report that'll set my mind off on something or you know as the case was with the song siri on the record you know i was finishing a uh gig with yes somewhere over there in England and I got back to my hotel after kind of you know enjoying hospitality a bit and uh, asked my phone you know Siri can you set the alarm for 7 30 a.m and she said yes your alarm is set I said thank you she said you're welcome and I started bantering back and forth with this thing and before I knew it I was asking it strange things like you know do you dream and it said electric sheep but only sometimes And I was like wow that's trippy (laughs) um And and then I asked it, do you love? And it said, who me? And and kind of right around that time I was like, wow, this is a song. Hang on <laughs> hey, I'm, doing, gonna, and I'm gonna write
0: one right now. No, hold on. You know,
2: and <laughs> so it's kind of strange where things come from, but I I try to let all of the spigots remain open and whatever water flows, I try to catch it <laughs> when right. I can.
1: Oh, yeah. interesting, man. Well, you make yeah. it real brand new, self-titled debut record is coming out on uh, Frontiers Records, February twelfth. To get it now, uh, wherever music is sold. I want. What's that really cool red, like maroon Telecaster-ish guitar you got in the background there? It's got a funky that, headstock, and
2: yeah, that's my main guitar that I have played and loved forever since I started endorsing Carvin. Which um, you know, the regime change has happened now, so it's a different story. But back in the day. Um, you know, uh, Chris and I both endorsed Carbon and that that's my main telly. It's got a, a built in VG pickup to send a sense. And, you know, I have a lot of different guitars, but that's the one that's like my main. It's just a telly model. Carvin's telly model. It sounds great. Plays great. Double octave. Love it. Nice. Let me, let me
0: ask you uh, just real quick, because you obviously uh, have done the stuff with Asia and done, you know, yes, Chris Squire yeah. and John Wetton, uh, mm-hmm. two of the greatest to have ever graced a stage Mm. um what's it like for you going in there and playing their parts do do you learn from that you go wow I didn't know you could do that and and does it make you a better player and how are they similar how are they different and what do you bring to the mix
2: Mm. well I I had you know studied Chris's stuff since I was 14 15 a master yeah, I was very well versed on his whole trip. I mean, we used to sit around at his crib and, and, uh, you know, we would start talking about Silent Wings of Freedom, for instance, and I would say, yeah, you know, that one part I've always dug the way the bass and he's like, is that what I did? That is what I did. <laughs> you know, so I had it pretty well down, you know, uh, and it's no secret. He was my, you know, sort of hero, sort of go to guy. Wetton, you know, I had been following Wetton through Crimson, UK, Asia, you know, all of the outlets that John was involved with. And then then I ended up working with him on Raising Captivity, getting to be able to co-write the record and and produce it. So I got up close and personal with him. You know, I wasn't as close with John as I was with Chris, but John and I were definitely close. And uh, so to be able to. You know, have them ask me to do what I'm doing is, is an honor that I never fathomed in a million years, you know, and I don't take it lightly. I, I, I defend that position with my life because, you know, these guys wanted these things to continue. That's one of the things Chris kept saying towards the end is just make sure it keeps going on. So, you know, I'm, I'm in for the long run to keep these things going. As far as the playing of each guy, Chris's style is completely different than John's, you know. But what's interesting in it is their their approach to the compositions of the parts. You know, Chris is like, he's all over the map, you know. Right. John, John's thing is more in a central area, but the notes themselves are pretty damn cool, the way he's got them worked out. So, uh, especially a lot of that UK stuff, you know. Hey, <laughs> so can't go wrong in- with that stuff. But it is definitely a different approach, you know. It's a, it's a different approach. Um, bass is a funny thing because you know a lot of people who might not be able to identify the bass in a mix. They just hear music as music. Mm. They they're, they're sort of uh, not really getting the beauty of understanding what a, a bass. You know, like a, when Paul McCartney plays a bass line, mm. what that's doing to the song.
0: Or know? listen, I'm going to throw out Tom Hamilton you can talk all you want about Aerosmith and say, Joe Perry's this and Steven, you take out Tom Hamilton from walk this way. Sweet. Those songs fall apart.
2: Well, and you know, going even further and deeper into the, the who I, you know, to me, Jocko, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Like, like, and yeah. That was a
2: funny thing with, with Chris and I, because, you know, there, there was this one time we were on the road and, and gigs over, we're at a bar somewhere, having drinks and getting loaded. And he looks over and he goes, <laughs> Just admit it, I'm your favorite bass player, he says to me. <laughs> and you're like, said, Yeah. I used to tell him, You're so close. <laughs> and he would look at me and go, Jocko, right? And I'd say, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell him about Jocko. You know, bass is, a, is an interesting uh, component to that. And I've Here, always, let, me, let me just I, bring the, it. Both guys different for sure.
0: Yeah. Let me just bring it to the modern day then with an the arc of life you do have the Yes alumni with you. So do you have to sort of pay homage to those guys and and give it a bit of their sound? Or do you just say, no, 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 this is Billy's sound. And at this point, what is Billy's sound? Because you've played the other guys for so long. Do you know where that
2: line is? Well, I mean, it's a weird thing because for me, like as, as role models of producing, in the way that Chris is my hero for being a bass player, my role models for producing, you know, my heroes were Hugh Padgham, R Hugh Padgham, you know, he made so many amazing albums and I can hear a record and know that it's Hugh Padgham, you know, we, I can just right. hear. Like, him, like, like,
0: you know, it's Mutt Lang, you, you, you or hear Or Mutt
2: it. or Eddie. So in a weird way, you know, I've become known as this sound that I bring to the table. And, you know, it, it, when that started, I was, it sort of almost rubbed me wrong. It's like, what do you mean? You know, I, I'm bringing these other guys to the table, and finally, I was just like, "Yeah, that's my sound. <laughs> let's go with it. <laughs> Take it or leave it."
0: This is Billy. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just, well, let's call it that. Um, since yeah, you're talking about
2: do, I, the, the other guys, though, you know, it's not just me doing everything. So I'm I'm engineering things and hearing tone the way I hear it but that's John Davison singing and you can tell, and he just sounds like a bird and, you know, Jimmy's guitar playing is shredding. I'm just kind of, you know, engineering it in a way where I get it into my comfort zone. I guess that does have a sound at this point, you know, all these years later.
0: Absolutely. Let me ask you just real quick. You and I have lost a friend in common uh, not too long ago in Bob Kulick.
2: Oh um, yeah. Th-
0: talk to me about Bob. Cause you did a lot of those tribute records with him and he, 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 you know, he, he was on all these records, whether it's Kiss or Meatloaf and all. And yet he never got to be the guy at the front that everybody went, oh, he's the guitar hero. And yet he was. Yeah. Um, so quickly talk to me about Bob and working with him and, and, and what he meant to
2: you. Well, Bob was a very special Guy. And uh, we met through a mutual record company friend and we started producing records together. I had a studio in Van Nuys where I made ultimately Keys to Ascension and the Open Your Eyes records and some Motorhead stuff in there. Um, Rat, there was a ton of the stuff that went on at that studio. But Bob kind of we started working together and, and we got along together. We laughed about a lot of the same stuff. I obviously an amazing guitar player. And you know, as you said, I don't think got the due that he was deserved. Um, but he certainly left a mark in terms of all the things that he's left behind to listen to, that's for sure. And you know, he was just a New York guy, you know, to know Bob was to love him. You know, he called me uh when the the, the Yankees played the Dodgers out here, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, Man, what the hell of a night last night? I'm like, what's up? He goes. I paid five hundred bucks for two tickets to sit there, and I said, "Yeah." He goes, i the, like, you know, I'm I'm a Yankees fan, man. So like, I'm rooting." And he says, "The guy turns around to me, and it turns into a scene, and I'm escorted out by the police." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, "Only Bob could go to a baseball game and pick a fight with all of L.A."
1: <laughs> that's hilarious i wonder if he won the fight and b if he was blasting sweet victory as he was being
0: dragged out <laughs> exactly right. it's all about sweet victory oh, that's, I probably just... my,
2: that's probably my favorite thing that happened with bob actually is that we did that spongebob that silly spongebob Dude. Uh, Did you play
1: on that or did you you work on that with him? Well, I mixed it
0: for him. Oh, uh, wow.
1: Dude, can I just say, that is like the soundtrack to my childhood
0: because what... Now, keep in mind here, uh, Jeremy's only 26, so he grew up literally yeah. watching I, well Dad. you know
2: when my kid was growing up spongebob was all the rage you know, he's 18 now so you know uh, and so the day that it came on i kind of looked at him and i'm like you're digging this <laughs> Dude, it's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, 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 that's daddy it's, it's, daddy, daddy uh, no, no. did that <laughs> it's the drum fill in there do do
0: do do, do. brown like, it's just right. so good and, who was the drummer on that you've got you've um
2: i don't remember how the track, uh, uh I know was david glenn eisley david glenn
0: eisley sang bob was on there oh, yeah. you mixed the it the drums could have been yeah. programmed
2: yeah uh they might have been i think we got the files before files i say files it was taped back then yeah but we probably got the tape before i i saw how it was created you know but
0: yeah funny,
2: funny. yeah i'm, I'm trying to
0: see if i can find out who it was but i can't see it here uh, i don't know. They're
2: probably programmed, man. They they just
1: sound
0: so good. And like Uh, that. No, here it is. It says uh, Patrick Star electric drums. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, yeah. Patrick (laughs) Star from from the TV show. It's from the TV show, of course. Perfect.
1: Perfect. <laughs> Mitch is like acting <laughs> as if there was a big revelation. Oh, it was
0: power.
1: <laughs> no, no. I was uh,
0: yeah. Just real quick, you, you did of course do uh, some stuff with uh, with uh, Lemmy and and the Motorhead guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Just what was that experience like? Do they come in? Did, you know, when you produce a Motorhead track, are you actually producing it, or do you just, or does Lemmy just go? This is how it fucking works. Leave me alone. Like, uh, I
2: well, you know as a producer, part of your gig is to hold the line if something's right. going really sideways. Uh, but, you know, those guys knew what they were doing and I knew what I was doing and, of course, uh, I came into that through Phil Carson who was the president of JBC at the time <clears throat> and, you know, Phil gave me a great rap going in. So, there was a bit of respect obviously that went in there and we just kind of went in and got on with it and came out with quite a cool track. I mean, Hellraiser's, Pretty ballsy, in-your-face track, and then I do. We did one more uh, track with them. I think it was called Hell on Earth or something. Uh, that was a bonus track for the film. But right. uh, just a trip, you know. Lemmy was he was larger than life, and, and and you know he was the real deal. You know, he'd show up to the studio with a thirsty two-ouncer of, of Jack Daniels with oh, a yeah. taste of Coke in there, and all we needed, <laughs> all you needed. <laughs> all you needed well listen uh,
0: there was one time in montreal where i was his driver and i had to drive him around to the gig in the hotel and he had two 40 ounces of vodka and by the end of the night but before the show started he finished the one in the right hand and by the end of the night he finished and he was perfectly sober he was perfectly straight he played the gig and i was just sitting there going
2: that would have killed well,
0: the, half the, of us here what the f-
2: The <laughs> most interesting thing i found was is that his knowledge of world war ii stuff because he was like a world war ii historian buff.
0: total you know? buff yeah. yeah
2: and i mean for as many of those jack daniels or whatever he'd have in his hand he could tell you you know who died in 1944 at anzio you know what i mean it was, it was pretty pretty interesting to sit around and talk with him about that stuff
1: yeah, I remember watching that doc in his apartment just full of, like, Nazi memorabilia and stuff, and I'm like, this dude was obsessed with it, you know?
2: Well, he once showed up at my place real excited to show me a Hitler Youth Knife and put it on the console, and I said, dude, I'm Jewish. If you don't mind, could you get that thing the fuck out of here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs> Imagine he just
1: showed up in full Hitler regalia, like, cosplay.
2: Right? <laughs> that would
1: have been funny. Uh, oh, you know, Billy, let me ask you this just real quick before we, you know, have to wrap up since you're a producer and everything. And you know, you, you'd be a good person to ask this. Do you think that modern mastering of music is shit with the brick wall limiter and compression and mastered for iTunes and everything? Do you think Well, well the
0: mastered for iTunes is, a, is, is just awful.
2: Well, yeah. But- well, I, I think that, you know, what I learned early on in my career was how important mastering is and how important the mastering guy is and your relationship with him and, yeah. And so in my career, I've been fortunate enough that, you know, uh, Joe Gaswert was the guy that I would go to for forever. And Joe, you know, was all about keeping those dynamics at the rate of not being as hot of a CD and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, and then uh, I began working with Moor Applebaum, who has that same concept of keeping the dynamics pure and true. Mayor so is the terrific. Is, think, the problem is, I think that, you know, you've got to be of the mindset that you want it the way we're talking about and your mastery engineer has to understand that and maintain it uh versus a label and young musician saying it's not loud enough because that's what it really comes down to you know it's a competition of like when you're in your car it's it's like it's a volume war But that they, you know, I guess, too, the genre is important to consider in that regard, too, because if you just got these wall of guitars and it's just this three piece of power guitar based drums thing, you can hit that wall and it almost won't make a whole hell of a lot of difference anyway. But if you're talking about, you know, Awaken, for instance, and you're trying to maintain this thing then you have to air a little under that line and work in the dynamics and let the listener just turn it up a little bit. You know, that's what I was to say. It's like, just turn it up.
1: Yeah. Well, you know? there's a, I, I heard a funny story from the late great Mike Shipley and he was working on a record with Mont Lang for a band called Maroon five. And so they finished, they spent like, you know, three or four weeks just mixing the, mixing the stuff and they sent it off to mastering and, some lackey at the label just ended up doing the mastering. And when they got it back, they were like, this is disgraceful. Like, well, it's
2: funny how that step, it's not funny. It's dangerous. How that step can just destroy all of your hard work. Yeah. So why it's, you gotta have a trust, you know, and, and mayor again, you know, is like, i've got such a trust with him now that you know he'll bug me to listen to make sure it's okay i'm like dude i spent six months working on the record i'm sure it's okay
1: and then it just goes <laughs> off to the mastering guy in the in the studio and it's just like oh let's just wipe out all of their bottom end they spent like months
2: crafting <laughs> exactly it's a dangerous proposition and you know the thing is just like everything is about recording i mean you know, recording used to be sort of an art form that you had to learn and really respect and understand to get the best of. Yeah, now it's kind of like just wing it, go for it. So, okay. in, in the same regard, everyone is a mastering engineer by proxy because you can buy these mastering programs. But they saw so an owl one on the cover. master bus yeah. if you're done. So, you know, I've always gone elsewhere because, you know, I know what a critical step that is and how important it is and, and yeah. what and, that means to the whole project. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and it's a shame that remastering now has just basically meant we're putting out the CD again, but just really
2: loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but that's not remastering. I listen, <laughs> I listen to everything I want to listen to from that first generation that was what they wanted, when they wanted it in that technology field Working inside that, you know what I mean? That's how I like to listen to the stuff I like to listen to.
1: That's it, you know, and like yeah. like you said, you can always just turn it up. Exactly, just turn it up.
2: <laughs> and it's not a lot, but it, it, it gives you the dynamic, you know, that's where else you're going to get that dynamic from, you know?
1: Well, you're going to be able to turn up all the dynamics of Arc of Life, their new album. You make it real, February 12th. Go pick it up, everybody. It's going to be awesome.
2: There you go. Thank you yeah. for having me, man. This has been <laughs> fun. Time so. Thank you,
0: Bailey. Always, always but, a pleasure.
2: Yeah, this yes, was a fun sir.
1: conversation. I enjoyed this. <laughs> right on,
2: man. Well, we'll see you when we get out on the road. Once there's a road to be on.
0: Yes, and and <laughs> and, and, and and keep in mind that he plays with Jay Shellen, who of course was in Hurricane. So
2: that yes, is a was. great
0: that is a great a, he, thing right there.
2: He had the hair to prove it.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> great, great band. I mean, hey, it, Kelly Hansen it, you know, went know. on to.
2: He had enough hair back then for the whole band right now we can <laughs> spread it around and be okay i'll take some i'll take some i
0: could take some <laughs> too actually geez yeah, sure. <laughs> really merci beaucoup billy absolute pleasure thank you so All much
2: right, see you guys yeah cheers. great to meet you Later, guys. cheers